our minds are not uh, disciplined on subjecting uh, our emotions and everything to the word, what can happen is we, we actually end up missing what God wanted to say to us. You know, look at Samuel, look at his intentionality when the Lord was calling him. <clears throat> he had to press in because at first he thought it was Eli that was speaking. He said, you know, he went to Eli and he, he thought it was Eli who was speaking, but the Lord was speaking. It wasn't Eli. You know, I've said this before, too. It, it, we, we have to come to the place to where that the, the, the voice of God doesn't sound like your own voice or the voice of a man. Because if, if the word of God is proclaimed, notice the Lord was speaking, not Eli. This is in 1 Samuel. <clears throat> we have to get to a place to where as the word goes forth, you don't just hear a man. You don't hear, quote, Eli. You hear the Lord speaking through a man. And by the same token, we have to come to the place to where the voice of man doesn't sound like the voice of God. And, and there's this there's this fine-tuning as we grow in hearing the Lord's voice. Um, but the Bible says he didn't allow one word to fall to the ground. And so with that said, I want to pray. I want to ask that the Lord would have his way, that the Lord would speak uh, this morning and that he would mightily use uh, the word that would go forth to encourage your hearts and to speak directly to your situations. The The word is, is historical, but it has eternal relevance. It will always have application. See, the Bible wasn't written to us. It was written for us. The Bible was written to those to whom it was written to church of corinth but it was nonetheless written for us paul says this in romans 15 or 14 if i'm not mistaken he says these things were written a four time for our learning so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope so let us pray father we just come before you lord in the mighty name of jesus god i ask god right now in the mighty name of jesus that that your word would go forth father i pray in the mighty name of jesus that you would speak to the hearts of your people Holy Spirit, I pray for your presence. God, we just invite you to come. We invite you to do your work. Your word says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, all bondages break. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is healing. Father, I just ask God right now that you would bring forth healing in our hearts. I pray that you would give clarity. I pray that you would give a sense of direction sense of purpose father god i pray right now that you would elucidate lord you would illuminate father i pray that you would grant revelation god i pray for every person that's hurting in their heart father that has suffered from trauma i ask that you would grant healing lord your word says that you uh, mend the brokenhearted father you bind up every wound lord father there's nothing hidden from your sight you know all that we go through you care for every struggle you empathize for every problem. You sympathize for every pain. Lord God, you have already granted us provision for every single thing that we could go through under the sun. We know that you're greater than pain. We know that you're greater than suffering. We know that you're greater than darkness. We know that you're greater than all that the devil can hurl at our way. We know that your word stands true. It stands firm. It stands steadfast. We know that you are the Lord of Lords and the kings of, uh, King of Kings. You're the only potentate. You're the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. 
God, we just magnify your name. We just glorify your name. We know that in your name, there's power. We know that in your name, demons cast out. We know that in your name, there's healing. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, nations can be restored. Nations can repent. Nations can find restoration. Father, we just ask, God, that you would bring into subjection every thought that would try to set itself in, uh, uh, in rebellion to you, Lord. God, anoint my lips, Father, I ask of you, Lord. I depend on you, Lord. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, fill me with your power. Fill me with your anointing, God. I cannot do anything in myself, Lord. Like your word says, apart from you, I can do nothing. So, God, I ask in Jesus' name, imbue me with power from on high, Lord, as cloven tongues of fire. Imbue me with power from on high, God, that you may speak to your people. You speak to your people in power and prophetically, O oh God. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come with your sweet presence. Holy Spirit, come with your sweet presence. We invite you, Lord. You're welcome in this chat. You're welcome in this place. We renounce, Lord God, all that is contrary to you. And we say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. Speak to us, God. Our ears are open and our hearts are open wide. Our mouths are open, Lord God. Fill us with your word, O oh Lord. You're the bread of life. Thank you, Jesus. Grant, Lord God, that this word would go forth like a two-edged sword. Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. God, I pray. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. We worship you, O Lord. We worship you. This is about you, Lord. This is not about formality. This is not about us going through some religious routine. Lord, I don't want to uh, give to you, offer to you, Lord, half-baked requests for you to come. Lord, we mean it in our hearts. We mean it. Father, may you become so real. So real in this meeting. Hallelujah. Glory to God. In Jesus' mighty name. <coughs> Amen. Amen. You know, I've, I've said this countless times before. And, and I, rem, I remind us. Um, I remind us that we must contend in prayer. See, the, the, the praying in the pews, I got this from Ian Bounds, the praying in the pews is weak because the praying behind the pulpit is weak. And the praying behind the pulpit is weak because praying in private is weak. That's why so many times you hear nonchalant prayers. This is so vital. It's not just an accessory to the Christian life. You know, uh, I read uh, uh, in this uh, book called The Kneeling Christian, and, and there's a quote in there that says that to, to, we don't pray to live the Christian life, but we live the Christian life to pray. We live the Christian life for communion with the living God. 
That is why we live the Christian life. Now, there are duties, there are things that we do, but do not get it mistaken that ultimately speaking, that the greatest service that we can offer to God is not feeding the poor, is not even proclaiming his word. It's communion with him in intimacy. And the strength of our ministry is only good as the quality of our intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And that's why so much preaching is ineffectual to change lives. Because you have preaching that comes from the overflow of the person's prayer life. And if they are deficient therein, they will be deficient because they have nothing uh, in their preaching because they have nothing to draw from. And this is also applicable for you, even if you're not called to the preaching ministry. If you're called to anything, even as simple as waiting tables in the book of Acts, the Bible says they had to have been filled with the power, uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Wisdom? To wait tables? You see, because God wants no man in service who is not filled with the Spirit of God who is not not just has the Holy Spirit, but filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to constantly be, be filled and filled and filled and imbued with power from on high. We, we, we must shut ourselves in with the living God. To long for Him, to yearn for Him. Is our heart's desires. And that's why the Christian church is in the state that it's in today. It is so subnormal. It is beyond what the Lord Jesus has envisioned for his people. You know, I, I bless God for Christian concerts and all that stuff. But these days I could care less about them. Because what I long for, and I love music, don't get me wrong. But look, what I care about is... Okay, after this, what are we doing? After the flash in the pan, and we spend all this money gathering together, what are we doing? Are we willing to meet in some broken down cottage and pray that the Lord come with us and join with us, even when there's no appealing cathedral, no appealing choirs, and all there is is God himself? Is he beautiful enough to our eyes that he himself attracts us? That's what we want. Jesus was born in a manger. Look at wise men traveled to see the living Christ. I don't have I don't have to have decorations to make God appealing. But with that said, I want to talk about purpose and suffering today. Um if if we don't have purpose in our suffering. The Bible says that suffering produces perseverance. We will not be able to persevere if there's no purpose in our suffering. We have to have purpose in our perseverance. You know, th there's this uh, philosophical thought experiment to kind of isolate this, kind of communicate this point. Excuse me. And, and the point is this. Um. It's trying. It was. It's trying to communicate the the human need for purpose. And there's this illustration. They say if if an astronaut were to have you know gone to the moon, and he's he's stranded there, 
and he has two options. It's either to drink a cup. Let's say he he he. Let's say this astronaut's immortal. He he never dies, and and he has two bottles. And I know this is ridiculous. Like nothing like this would ever happen. But it's the illustrative point. There's two bottles he's offered. Um. <coughs> um. Oh no no no! He he's not immortal. He's just a regular astronaut. But he's offered two body uh, two bottles. One bottle is the bottle of immortality. That means he will never die. Or the bottle of of uh, of death. So the moment he drinks the bottle, he dies. Well, he's going to drink the bottle that will kill him because no one wants to stay out there for no purpose, right? Even if it means it costs you your life. The human soul needs something to live for. That's why uh, to punish hardened criminals, they place them in solitary confinement away from uh, any involvement with humanity. It's it's torturous because the Bible says it's not good for us to be alone, but we've been created for community. We've been created for other human beings. We've been created to do something, to live for something beyond ourselves, to live for, in fact, more specifically, to live for someone higher than ourselves. And that is the true essence of worship, that we live for someone greater than us. And that's Christ himself. But I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 through 10, excuse me, through 11. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. And so this is Paul's second letter to the church of Corinth, church at Corinth. And he said, look, I don't want you to be ignorant of this reality. We had experienced a deadly peril. And this, this peril, this danger, the, this persecution was far beyond our ability to endure. He says this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God who raises the dead. Now, this wasn't for no purpose. And I wanted to say, too, it wasn't because of any fault of his own. The Bible makes it very clear. It says that it has been granted to you not only to believe on Christ, but also to suffer for his name's sake. To suffer for his name's sake. The Bible says to endure hardness as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. For no soldier enlisted in, in, in the army gets himself entangled with civilian affairs. So there's this there's this strong language that suggests that we are in a war. And but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So you don't you, we don't foster a, a a a military mindset in the natural. Or I'm going to retaliate or I'm going to uh uh contribute evil for evil, repay evil for evil. But I'm going to repay evil with blessing. 
but we have to endure evil. The Lord called us. He says, it is bound that temptations will come. It is bound that suffering will come. It is going to come. It's not a matter of, of what will come, but a matter of when it will come. You have been, and I have been, there was no one excluded. We have been called to a life of suffering. But the thing that we are to take heart in is that this is not a meaningless suffering. It's not because God gets any pleasure out of seeing you in pain. But there's this overarching reason for why we go through what we go through. And it is inseparable to the Christian life. Remember, the central theme of, the, of Christianity is a cross that suggests and implies pain. Death, heartache, rejection, being ostracized, being excluded, having your family betray you, having hard times, being misunderstood. But I, I wanted to <clears throat> look at the life of Paul very quickly and see uh, find encouragement. Again, as I've cited earlier, the Bible says that these things were written aforetime so that through encouragement and the uh, through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. In fact, greater than Paul, Jesus himself, the sinless Lamb of God, suffered. The Bible says in Isaiah that he was a man acquainted with grief, familiar with suffering. There's an old hymn that says, this is the way that the master went, shall not the servant tread it still. No one is above his master. You know, it was said that if, if we preached what Jesus, if, if Jesus preached what we preach today, he would have never gotten crucified. But he preached what he preached because he realized that even though it was going to come with great suffering, that ultimately he was doing it for the will of the Father. But if you'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 23, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, this is the sort of description that Paul gives with regards to his suffering. He says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors. Okay. So, number one, let's just stop there. Labor implies suffering. Because it the Bible says in Revelation that when the Lord creates all things new, that we shall finally rest from our labors. We shall rest from every single toilsome labor. But it says labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, countless. He can't even count them. He lost count of them. I got beat so many times, I cannot tell you how I, I've lost track. There, there's no more room on the wall for tallying <laughs> with, with a piece of chalk. And often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. And the reason why it says 40 lashes less one 
is because it was believed that one final lash would kill the person. So they would lash them 39 times. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was, sh I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak. Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant. Look at his resume. Look at his spiritual uh, description of all that he had gone through. Was he any less of a saint than us? No, in fact, he was more of a saint than us, and yet he himself suffered. You might, at this point, sink down in uh, despair and say, well, <coughs> man, um, he, he surely has gone through a lot. I haven't gone through that. Am I even a Christian? And see, the thing is, we're not saved by suffering. We're saved by Christ's sufferings. But he saves us from ourselves through suffering. He saves us from many things through the things that we go through. And the thing is, we will kick and scream and say, no, Lord, no, God, anything but that. But he points to it and says, no, that. You will suffer in that area. You will suffer where it hurts most. Where you feel like you cannot endure. You feel like you want to give up. You feel like you can't make it. But newsflash, Paul said the same thing in the passage we read. He says, we despaired of life. It was beyond our strength. See, God doesn't call us to endure something. Well, actually, he does call us to endure something that we're incapable of enduring. Why? Because we must draw into him, from him as the source. From him, not from ourselves. But this is Paul's description of suffering. And, and you may have gone through similar things. <clears throat> I don't have the privilege of saying I've been beaten for preaching the gospel. And I, I don't think I'm particularly envious of that either. <laughs> but... Um, I can say I've almost gotten beat up for preaching the word and not being a jerk, not being persecuted for being a jerk, but for simply preaching. Um, sometimes there are those out there that want to wear for their badge of honor that they've been persecuted for the gospel when they've been persecuted for being a just complete imbecile and jerk. <clears throat> Um, but with that said that th there's, there's things that we have gone through and I want to, I want you to be assured that no matter how little the suffering, <coughs> <coughs> excuse me, 
whether you where you had to give up a relationship or you had to take a stance in your family and say I, I will not believe that I'm going to serve Christ I don't care what you believe I don't care and 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 I feel like God is speaking to someone right now regarding that I don't care what stance you take I'm taking a stance on Jesus even if that means me losing everything if that means losing you as a, as a as a mother or a father <clears throat> or losing you as a cousin not by blood but by our relationship with one another I'm going to serve Jesus I'm going to serve Christ but remember he says that that if we don't take such a stance it says that we are not worthy to be his disciple you know he says count the cost <clears throat> you know it, it it's a, it goes both ways we count the cost how much we are going to suffer but we also count the cost uh how much we will suffer if we say no to him count the cost for how much we will suffer if we say yes but count the cost for how much we will suffer if we say no the greater suffering is on the op- on the in, on the uh the option that is taken that says no to Christ and all that he offers it, it there inevitably we will drink a cup of poison but the one that God bids us to drink is a cup wherein the suffering and the bitterness comes first and then the joy of sweetness comes afterward whereas the world offers us a glamorous cup a sweet cup a a, a glittering cup but afterward comes the inevitable and perpetual and permanent cup of poison and bitterness and pain that ends in regret, that ends in shallowness, that ends in emptiness, that ends in meaninglessness. Amen. Inevitably, we will experience pleasure and inevitably we'll experience pain. Inevitably. There's no way around it. There is no way to avoid it. <clears throat> Frederick Nietzsche, he was a he was a philosopher. And uh, he said, you know, he, he's known for his famous writing of, you know, you know, if, if we if we remove God, where where is up and down? Where's left and right? Where's, you know, uh, where, you know, how where's the horizon? In, in other words, he's saying there really is no direction. There is no objective truth. There really is no meaning or purpose to our reality. If God doesn't exist, if we don't live for an objective and transcendent reality, namely God, what are we doing? What is the purpose? There is no reason for why we exist. You are not valuable. I am not valuable. We are m- dust. And who cares about dust in an ungoverned world where there is no God who assigns value to each unique individual? And yet you don't have to claim atheism to live such a life. All you have to say is be as the fool and say there is no God, practically speaking. You may affirm him in your head, but you live as if he don't exist. And it's a meaningless life. Because why toil? Why save up? 
Why love one another? Who cares? Live for self. But even that is so meaningless. Why live for self? There are no answers to the whys. No answers to the hows. No answers to the whats. There's no def definition to humanity in, an, in that belief system. And yet we, I remember when Jesus saved me. I remember, I, I've said this time and time again, I love it. I will remember it for the rest of my life. But as clear as, as it was yesterday, uh, as if it was yesterday, when I opened my eyes, when the Lord Jesus saved me, I remember I had never seen the sky so blue. I never seen the grass so green. I never seen all this world to be now interpreted through the lens of a lens of purpose and meaning. And it was because of Christ. And I said, I, I just had the greatest smile on my face. And I said, I know I exist. I know I am here. I have purpose now. I have meaning now. I have a reason to live now. I know why I have been created. I know why God has put me here. I know why I'm stationed here. I have an objective meaning and I'm not lost. I was lost before, but I'm found now. I know why I'm here. And thank God and bless God that he has revealed to me. I'm no longer blind. I'm no longer in shackles and in chains of meaninglessness and hopelessness and despair. Bless God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for that glorious revelation. You know, there, there's a... Um, you know, there's this, this amazing preaching by Dr. Martin Luther King. And he says, uh, you know, he says, uh, I, I forgot what speech it was in, but he says, you know, so we're going to sing uh, the old spiritual. He says, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. <laughs> and that's how I felt that day. This triumphant, I'm free at last. I am free. I am free. There's freedom in the Lord. There's freedom in his spirit. There's joy in his spirit. There's liberty in his spirit. There's purpose in his spirit. There's a reason why I'm here and thank God Almighty I'm free. No longer bound. I'm no longer enchained. And so it doesn't matter if I am suffering in physical chains in this life. I know that the chains in the spirit have fallen off. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. But here are the number. I, I want to get into a number of reasons why <coughs> we suffer. If you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 through 11. Here. I typed it in the chat. <clears throat> when you have it, uh, say amen or. Amen. <clears throat> Touch your neighbor and tell your neighbor. <laughs> I'm just messing. <laughs> <laughs> 
turn to your neighbor and tell your uh, Zoom neighbor, <laughs> amen. <laughs> oh, praise God. Hey, uh, Hebrews chapter 12. <coughs> Verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you do not grow weary or faint-hearted. So he's saying, consider Jesus, your great pioneer and, and apostle of the faith. <clears throat> he suffered too. And, and the reason why is he wants to prevent us from growing weary and faint at heart. He's a merciful high priest. He's been tempted in, in all points like we, yet without sin. So he's not able to empathize with our weaknesses and our sufferings. He, he's not a God that stands distant from suffering, but made himself available in suffering. He's here to aid us. He's here to help us. He's not here to stand back and say, Oop, I guess you got to pick yourself up, pal. Uh, that's kind of bad. Kind of have a, <clears throat> a sorry day, huh? No, he, he's there to help. He's there to aid. He sympathizes. And says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's a race. In fact, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Sprints don't require endurance or very much. <clears throat> Marathons do. So this implies that there's, there's, there's some jogging you got to do. You got to pace yourself. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before, I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not even reading. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not, I'm not setting, I'm not reading the verses I said I was going to read. My, my apologies. Um, <clears throat> verse four: In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? So I want to give you a little bit of context to what's going on here. The, the writer of Hebrews says <clears throat> that you have received joyfully the plundering of your goods. So they have had stuff stolen from them. And they were also getting flack from the people that they loved, the Jewish people, because this is written to the Hebrews. Remember, to, to, to deny circumcision... <clears throat> was an insult to the Jews because you're saying to, they interpret it as uh, you disagree with Moses. You disagree with Moses. You kicked out of the synagogue. You're, you're excluded from us. You're bringing shame to our family's name. How many of us had to turn to true Christianity and renounce Catholicism and receive that same ill treatment from family? <clears throat> but he said but they're going through suffering and they're tempted to relapse back he says have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons my son or daughters do not regard lightly the discipline of the lord what discipline so the lord spanking me now oh great i have suffering and now the lord's spanking me too no it is through the suffering that the Lord uses that as a treatment for your discipline. He uses human circumstances 
for your good. You see that? He says, nor be weary when reproved by him. So there is a temptation to be weary of the reproof that the Lord allows us to go through. So stand guard against such temptation. You will be faint-hearted if you lose sight that these these, uh, sufferings incur us because it is actually the Lord's remedy to save us from us. He's treating us as sons and daughters. It is for our good. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. If you go without discipline, then you're not a son. So if you're going through discipline, and how do we interpret the discipline? They had their goods plundered. They were excluded from their Jewish society, their, their Jewish community. And you have to get over this. And this is what the devil will tell you. See what you're doing. What's happening is you're suffering from your former life of sin. And no doubt in some cases we receive consequences for our sin, but do not be mistaken that if we've confessed our sins, the Lord has forgiven us. And he will nevertheless use the things that we have foolishly done and others have foolishly done to us as a means of discipline. You know, the the word discipline, the verb uh, discipline um, is is similar. Think of the word uh, of the noun disciple. Uh, discipline is the verb of the word of the noun disciple. Disciple means a student, a pupil, a learned one. So the verb discipline implies that the Lord is teaching us some things. He wants us to learn through that so that we become educated as his followers. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who have disciplined us and we respected them. You know, my, my, my father took it a little too far by like beating me. And for foolish things, like legitimate mistakes, I I get things handed to me, get punched, kicked, all that stuff. <laughs> but for those of us, especially uh, us, uh, you know, Hispanics in here, you know, the the, the chancla, right? With a <laughs> your mom will pull off the chancla, right, and give you a good smack. And we've seen on uh, on um, Facebook, you know, I grew up in a generation where. You know, I was taught some things, you know, and then there's a chancla or there's a belt or whatever, right? But look at the kids. I, I know you see them when you go to the store, snotty-nosed kids that treat their parents like nothing, and they're saying, and, and the, the, the parents are pushovers. And we're like, man, I wish I could smack that kid behind the head. He is he's acting so ugly towards his, his parents. Well, that's the result of us going without discipline. You're going to look like the world if the Lord don't discipline you. Amen. The very thing you hate to see in others is the thing we will see in ourselves. Amen. How? 
Is this something I've made up? No, it's right here in the text. It says, shall we not much more be subjected to the father of spirits and live verse 10 for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness what's the purpose of suffering that you may share in his holiness you may share in his righteousness the Lord doesn't want you to be that snotty-nosed kid that walks around in Walmart throwing a tantrum, falling to the ground, kicking and screaming, you know, calling other people names. And he doesn't want you to be like that. He wants us to share in his holiness. And so he will use suffering. He will use the ill treatment that people give you as a way of discipline, I want to say this right now by the Spirit of God, that some of us are in situations that we've been praying to get out of, but God has stuck you there, left you there, and has refused to get you out because it's more about him educating something to your heart and in your character that you need to graduate from, that you need to learn from. And it is not without purpose. It is not without meaning. And in fact, in many cases, the very thing we've prayed for will be answered through that. <clears throat> that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. It's painful. Isn't that an encouragement? He's recognizing, look, I'm not belittling your suffering. It's painful. I'm validating the fact that this is some hard things that you're enduring. And the Lord recognizes it as painful. He recognizes it. He recognizes this as very hard. And you know what? He doesn't look down upon you like that's all you're suffering. Don't you know I bore a cross? That's not the attitude. That's not the Lord's heart. That may be the attitude of some very snobbish and, and self-righteous Pharisees, but that's not the attitude of the Lord Jesus. He doesn't look down upon how much you, uh, on how little you suffer, because if we start comparing our suffering to other people, we're going to invalidate the suffering and we'll actually use, lose the effect that it could have if you rightly embrace it as a reality of suffering and allow God to redeem it and sanctify it for purposes of disciplining us after his holiness. It's like kind of looking down on someone that just started going to the gym <laughs> and he's lifting like 10 weights, you know, doing some curls. And there's a guy on steroids looking down like, that's all you got. Well, first of all, he's a cheater. <laughs> so he's, he's a chump for taking steroids. But secondly, everyone starts somewhere. And so I can't look down upon you because you suffer less than I. Because the Lord knows the capacity of your suffering. And, and <clears throat> comparatively speaking, I may suffer more than you or you suffer more than me. But if God has functioned, if God has designed you for a certain capacity of suffering, then the Lord knows if he lays a certain amount of pressure on you, that that suffering is actually more suffering that you're going through than I'm going through. It may not be so comparatively, but the Lord knows what you are going through personally. 
The Lord knows how much it means to lose someone. How it, it may not pain the heart of someone else, especially if my father was abusive and, and or, or we didn't have a relationship and he passes. That's a form of suffering nonetheless. But if I don't, if he didn't mean very much to me, it may not pain my heart as much as you have a wonderful father who taught you in the ways of the Lord, right? And so don't allow the devil to invalidate your suffering. Allow the Lord to redeem it. <clears throat> allow the Lord to use it. But it says, but it says, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we need to be trained by it. So that's that's one of the purposes of, of suffering is our growth after the Lord's righteousness. You know, I can say that earlier in my walk, I was a bit um, too, too, too confident um, in myself. But over the years, I feel like God has allowed me to go through pain, limitation, um, to where I'm not so confident in myself anymore. <clears throat> I, I, if, if some of you have experienced the same thing, you know what I'm talking about, to where we lose confidence. It's hard for me to remember things. And, and so I'm like, Lord, help me to remember or, you know, or I, I'm so tired because my allergies and, and, and I have a severe problem. <laughs> I really do. And I'm like, God, I really need your strength right now to pray. Lord, help me. God, I can't. But you through me can. Lord, help me. Help. Please, Lord. And, and that ultimately really leads me to my second reason number one is righteousness but number two is reliance in second corinthians in the first chapter remember paul says that we despaired even of life he says but this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves but on god who raises the dead so why does he use these two contrasting points here not relying on self but on God who raises the dead because he faces a deadly peril. He knows he cannot get through. It is above his strength to endure. It is above his resources. It is above his ability to escape. Therefore he must rely on the God who raises the dead. That even if I die, I know that the Lord can raise me again. Spiritually speaking, I know that if I myself cannot get through this and know that there's a God who, who resides in heaven, who is my help. The Bible says, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. The Lord is my helper. He is my shield. He is my banner. He is my rock. He is my fortress. He is the great I am. So whatever I'm in need of, I can look to him. It's about reliance. It's about reliance on the lord faith in him trust in him 
not on ourselves. Not on ourselves. You know, um, <clears throat> sometimes we think that doing more for the Lord is actually better. When actually doing less for him and trusting more on him and in him, in that less is actually better and of greater quality than doing a lot for him in the arm of the flesh. You realize that? You say, oh, Lord, I'm not doing very much. But no, you know, the little that you are doing, you're trusting in him as you do it. And guess who gets glory out of that? God gets glory, not man. And he wants to avoid us getting the glory. If I accomplish something in my flesh, I can say, I can pat myself on the back and say, I did a good job. But what happens when I'm good is dead? And I said, I'm not getting out of this. I cannot. Oh, Lord, this is so painful. God, I, I, I really feel like giving up on, and, uh, on, on this job. I really feel like giving up. Lord, I feel like backsliding. God, you know how hard it is for me to say no to getting drunk. God, help me. And in those times, those faint cries are expressions of faith. Lord Jesus, rescue me. I need your help. Versus someone that's polished and easily goes through it themselves. That doesn't bother me very much. Like, man, you're like Ned Flanders Christian. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, did, did, did that ring a bell? Like Ned Flanders? I don't watch Simpsons, by the way. I'm just, I just remember from the world, all right? You know, it's funny story. When I was working at the slaughterhouse, you know, I got picked on a lot. It was a hard time working there. They call me Ned Flanders. They're like, what, what, what's up, Ned Flanders? <laughs> I was like, man, you guys get a kick out of joke clowning on me, huh? Um, <clears throat> but it's for us to rely on the Lord. I want I want to come to two two last points. Turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter four, verse sixteen through eighteen. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses 16 through 18. <clears throat> you have it say, amen. Amen. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. What, what do you mean wasting away? Your container is getting older. You're maybe losing hair. You're getting wrinkles. <clears throat> You're increasing in weight. Yeah, I know it's depressing. 
you're getting arthritis, your bones ache. You can't work out like you used to. The list goes on. <clears throat> but we're wasting away. But what's our encouragement? There's a more fundamental self, and that's our spiritual man, that Paul says is renew being renewed day by day. He says our inner self is being renewed day by day. Yeah, the outer man is growing old and he's wasting away. But this inner man, he's being renewed every single day. The Lord's mercies are new every morning. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. <clears throat> As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So Paul says, this outer person that's wasting away, get your eyes off of that. We must, we must alleviate our eyes from looking at this self because the more we look at this body that's decaying, that is wasting away, we're looking to external situations and, and, and those situations as an end in itself, or we're looking to the persecution, we're looking to our problems, we're looking to the hardships, then inevitably my faith is going to sink. Because if that's the if that's all I see, then it doesn't look very hopeful for me. I don't have hopeful prospects if I fix my eyes on what I can see. And if I bank on having external situations that are preferable to myself, then I'm always going to sink down in despair. But if I look to what is unseen, then my hope is incited. My, my, I have a confidence. I have a basis for my hope. Okay, but here's the thing. The Bible says it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. So this wasting away, this body that is decaying, these persecutions we endure is preparing for us a weight of glory that is far greater than all that we can compare. Uh, this glorious reward, this weight of glory is far greater than all that we can compare it to. It doesn't matter what we go through. It doesn't matter if you become a reject. It doesn't matter if uh, you're assaulted by the enemy day in and day out. Our hope is that the Lord will come through at the end of the age, reward us on the day of judgment, and provide us an eternal weight of glory that exceeds all the suffering we've been through. And so this is the third thing that suffering accomplishes, and it prepares our greater rewards for you in glory. And do not be mistaken. I don't know how it works, but one thing I do know is that there are going to be those in heaven that will have a far greater reward than us, and it will not incite envy in us. We will have a great joy in beholding the greater weights of glory of our brothers and sisters. Because the Bible says there are less in the kingdom of God and the great in the kingdom of God. And the great in the kingdom of God were the least here on earth. So it produces righteousness. 
reliance and rewards. And I want to read one last passage. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. <laughs> Someone said I'm getting flappy arms. Heck. Dang. That was Sister Adama. Anyways, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. We're jars of clay. We're not indestructible. We're not invincible. We're jars of clay. For what? For what purpose, though? We have treasures in jars of clay. It's like I have pure diamonds in clay. The worth resides within the clay. The clay is going to be disposed of. For what purpose is this? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and to not us. If, if there is, if, 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 um, you know what prevents tires from being popped? Is that the pressure inside of it is greater than the pressure outside of it. That's what leads to explosion or or implosion or explosion. I, for, I forgot which one. But the pressure within the tires are greater than what's pressing down on it. When the pressure is, is too much for the tires, then it will pop. But if the tires are not popping then that's telling me that there's something within the tires itself. Or if, for example, let's say, <clears throat> um, you know, you are 100 pounds, you haven't worked out a day in your life, but yet you can bench 500 pounds. I'm going to be amazed and say there's something to this person. It's definitely not him. <laughs> What's what is it about him? I'm going to look for other answers than his muscles because he don't got none. <laughs> so when we endure suffering, it's so that the surpassing power it says, belong so to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And so this is another reason is revelation. It reveals. It shows to the demons, to angels, and to the church, that when we endure sufferings far beyond our capability, that it ultimately belongs to God and therefore then redounds to his glory and thanksgiving and gratitude. We can praise God for that. If someone gets on the mic and says, yo, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever heard these texts, quote testimonies in church when it kind of seemed seemed as if it was more of a, of a boast about what they did and you can kind of discern it in the tone of voice it's like this person isn't testifying about god they're just boasting about what what they're doing or what they used to be or, or something like that you know and well people don't like that people don't want to hear what you've done i want to hear what god did through you because if I hear about what God has done through you, 
we can all rejoice. I don't want to hear about how great you are. I don't want to hear how about great I am because none of us are great. Only God is great. And the more I hear about what he has done, guess who gets edified because it then encourages my heart that God can do the same for me. Amen. So it's to show that the surpassing power belongs to us, to to God and not us. And look at what he says, verse eight, we are afflicted in every way. So afflictions come every way bodily, mentally, emotionally, relationally, sociologically, spiritually. We are afflicted in every single way. But guess what? We're not crushed. We're perplexed. That means I don't always know the answers. I know in part. And I see through a glass darkly. I'm perplexed, but I'm not driven to despair. I'm persecuted, but I'm not forsaken by God. In fact, the persecution shows my embracing by God. It's a confirmation of my sonship that I am not going without discipline. I'm struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. And so this is pointing ultimately to the cross of Christ. The gospel is being preached through our lives every day we endure our cross. And what it exemplifies and what it shows to the church is that there is a surpassing power that abides on you that is not from you, that is working through you. And it's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians, in in chapter 11 or 12, if I'm not mistaken, he says, there was a messenger of Satan to torment me, to buffet me, to harass me, and I, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you in weakness, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The power of God resides within us in weakness, not in strength. Amen. That's why it says in First Peter, it says, thank you not strange concerning the fiery trial that is to come to try you as though some strange thing were happening unto you, but rejoice in as much as you are partakers of the sufferings of Christ. For when we are weak, it says that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. So the Lord is not going to abandon us during those times. He's going to draw nigh unto us. But if I'm full of self-strength, I'm going to be filled with self-pride and boasting and 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 and, and arrogance and and everything self i'm going to wrench a, a, a stench of self and god can't work through vessels like that and so <clears throat> i want to encourage us that there's meaning and there there's there's purpose in our suffering Sometimes we are looking, we're so preoccupied with being alleviated from stuff like that. And I'm human just like you. So I'm not excluded. I don't want to be in pain anymore or any less than you. <clears throat> but I realize that it's the, it's, it's the instrument that God has ordained for a greater conformity to the image of Christ a revelation of the power of God and, and his resurrection uh, and sanctifying power in our lives. 
it's going to redound to a greater it's go, it's going to procure for us a greater reward in heaven and it keeps us reliant and it keeps us weaned off of the pleasures of this world if every way i turn to find pleasure in this world and i'm afflicted by it there's so many times at some point you're going to stop trying to grab the rose by the stem because you keep getting pricked you keep experiencing those thorns in your flesh and you say you know what? i don't care how beautiful that looks i'm tired of feeling in pain and so it's a it's a it's a it's a way that the lord brings about righteousness in our lives so i want to close in prayer <clears throat> holy spirit we um we come before you lord Father God, I just ask of you right now in, in Jesus' mighty name for you to begin to comfort and encourage the hearts of your people. Father, I pray that you will lift them up from every valley of despair. I pray, Father, that you would strengthen them in, in the midst of suffering. <clears throat> Give them a clear perspective, Lord, with regards, for, with regards to the purpose for, for why they go through what they go through. Even if Lord, um, there are no details. There's no particular whys that are answered. <clears throat> but help us, Lord, to know that ultimately speaking, God, that there is a reason for why we go through what we go through. Even if we don't understand all the details, Father, help us to not forsake or run away from suffering, if it be your will. But help us to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to endure. Help us, Father, to get our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, I pray that you would continue to comfort us, Lord, in suffering. And Father, that we would not be apostates. We would, Lord, not be like those, Lord, who bowed at the image of Nebuchadnezzar. But we would be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Lord, who are willing to be placed in the fire. But Father, we are sure that you're there in the fire. Like Nebuchadnezzar had pointed out, I see the fourth man is the son of God standing in the fire and the rest are unscathed. But help us to know that you're in the midst of pain. You're in the midst of refining. You're in the midst of suffering. And you bid us to come. Lord, abandon strength, abandon self, abandon self-reliance. Father, I just pray that you would help us, Lord, to understand that this will all provide for us a greater weight of glory in eternity lord that is far beyond all the comparison beyond the comparison of the pleasures of this life and the pain of this life so holy spirit i pray that your that your sweet presence would just rest upon our hearts lord assure us of your love assure us of your peace Assure us of your comfort. Assure us, Lord God, that we are your sons and daughters and that you care for us, Lord, and that you're not allowing us to go through pain, Father, as a way 
to pay us back for our sins, Lord, for you, you've, you've paid it all already, Lord, through your sufferings. <clears throat> In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Amen. <clears throat>